Here at the start of the new year, I'm picking up with the series of sermons that I was giving on 2 Samuel. We're jumping into the middle of something right here. We're jumping into the middle of the life of, of Abner, actually the life and death of Abner in this passage, and especially Joab's role in this. And we're going to be seeing that there are sins of the heart that war in Joab and that war against the peace of God that was being promoted and prayed for by David himself. I'm going to read verses 22 through 30, uh, through 30 today. Remember what's gone before, that Abner is suing for peace, is, is, a, is a maneuvering um, for peace with David after having been in a civil war. And remember as well that Abner killed Joab's brother, Asahel. So listen as I read God's word. At that moment, the servants of David and Joab came from a raid and brought much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the troops that were with him had come, they told Joab, saying, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, and he sent him away, and he has gone in peace. Then Joab came to the king and said, What have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why is it that you sent him away, and he has gone, uh, and he has already gone? Surely you realize that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you, to know you're going out and you're coming in, to know all that you are doing. When Joab had gone from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner, who brought him back from the well of Sirah. David did not know it. Now when Abner had returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him privately, and there stabbed him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. Afterward, when David heard it, he said, My kingdom and I are guiltless before the Lord forever, the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest on the head of Joab and on all his father's house. And let there never fail to be in the house of Joab one who has a discharge or is a leper, who leans on a staff or falls by the sword, who lacks bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had killed their brother Asahel at Gibeon in the battle. I said, we're jumping into the middle here with the story of Abner, the narrative of his life and now his death. We left off with Abner coming to David to say, I can end this war. I can deliver all of the tribes of Israel that are against you. And David accepts that offer of peace that Abner made. There is a lot that went before, and we need to remember that Abner had proven to be a a 
one who understand, under, understood politics and that he was, after establishing his own position and, his, and was pursuing his own power, and yet David still accepted this offer of peace. When you think about it, it really is a stunning action by David. Though he was wronged, David treated the enemy king, Ishbosheth, and the enemy general, that's Abner, with respect. And he was doing all that he could to bring the tribes of Israel, the people of God, back to being one single nation as God intended them to be. He was acting as a true king in this case. He was pursuing peace. But Joab had something else in mind. While David was pursuing peace, Joab was preparing for war. He effectively acted against King David's gracious rule and against the peace that the Lord himself was orchestrating through his own godly king, King David. And as such, Joab provides a striking warning throughout every age, striking warning for us today. Warning is that out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, and so on. That's what Jesus says. Out of the heart comes murders. And so Joab demonstrates the sins of the heart that produce war against God's peace. They war against our souls and they war against the peace that is established by God with him and with brothers and sisters. So the call of this passage is to learn to beware of the sins of the heart, the sins of Joab, put off those sins that war against the peace of Christ. If you look at verse 22 and following, they tell how Joab and his brother Abishai plotted and carried out the murder of Abner. In doing so, he violated David's promise of peace to Abner, what we might call safe passage or safe conduct. And he violated David's intent and his effort to, to bring the people of God together. Remember that they had been divided by this civil war. They've been divided by Abner and Ishbosheth, setting themselves up in opposition to David and to literally fight against him. This act of murder eventually and inevitably betrays the sins of his heart, sins that begin inwardly but then inevitably shape our words and our actions. So just what are the sins that motivate Joab's Joab's action. I'm going to identify three sins here from this passage. The first is, I would say, the most obvious, the sins of vengeance. Sins of vengeance. Abner had indeed killed Joab's brother, Asahel, in the Battle of Gibeon, verse 27 and 30 say, 
Because of this, Joab decided, you killed my brother, I'm going to kill you. There was a blood feud that was created by Joab's hatred of Abner. So he and his his other brother Abishai conspired to kill Abner. This is how it happened. After David had sent Abner away, Joab sent messengers, said, Abner, come back to Hebron. He didn't tell David that he had done this, and he didn't consult with David about what he was going to do. Abner returns, thinking that he has the king's word on his safety. God, uh, excuse me, David had said, you may depart in peace. You've come, I'm sending you out to accomplish this, this great purpose that you have described. You have safe, safe passage. But Joab then turned him aside to the gate to speak to him privately. Right. As the text says, it's there that he stabbed Joab, unbeknownst, un, without warning, stabbed Joab in the belly so that he died. The text gives a reason as well that he killed him for the blood of Asahel, his brother. In other words, he took vengeance on Abner. And in taking vengeance, Joab's action crossed the line to murder. Next week, we'll look more closely at David's response, but I want you to notice what he immediately says. He immediately condemns it, not as an act of war, not as an act of self-defense, but as a condemnable offense, what we would call premeditated murder. So what makes Joab's actions murder? Well, we do need to understand the context, so I'm going to back up and, and remind you of what had happened. How did Asahel die? Well, chapter 2 tells how Abner had invaded Judah. It was, this is what makes it complex. It was wrong to do that. We have condemned Ishbosheth. We've condemned Abner for going against David, God's anointed, going against God himself. But uh, Nevertheless, he entered, and Joab rose up with his armies to defend Judah. This is what war is about. And there was a battle that took place between these two forces. And Joab's forces won, a convincing victory, so that Abner had to run away. Uh, he had to, de- de- uh, to retreat for his own safety. But Joab's brother was intent on running after Abner, catching up with him, and killing him. And being faster than Abner, Asahel did indeed catch up and challenge Abner. But if you look back at chapter 2, you'll find that Abner tried two times to warn Asahel away. Don't fight with me. I don't want to kill you. There's an opportunity here to disengage. Let the, let the killing cease, in a sense. And we, we looked at how, how ludicrous it was for Abner to suggest that when he was the instigator. But nonetheless, he says, turn aside, I don't want to kill you. Two times. 
Basahel would not turn away, and so they fought. Abner killed Asahel. There was a battle, and men died. Men die in warfare. Men kill in warfare. And in warfare, the killing of another is not condemned by God's law. In fact, as we read God's word, we find that he commands you shall not murder which has a positive aspect of protecting life. And that gets worked out in the life and in the, in the laws of the Old Testament and in the words of Jesus Christ himself. And in, the, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, we see this idea of the positive aspects of the law coming through. Through the years... Christian leaders and Christian nations have discussed and developed the so-called just war theory. Now, it's beyond my intent to develop that today, beyond the case of saying this, that the just war theory defines war that is waged for godly reasons and in godly ways. And fundamentally, the godly reason for war is self-defense. There's that idea of protecting life. So there is a, in a sense, a, a sanctioned taking up of the sword against someone else for the protection of life. You can do it in self-defense, you can do it in a national's in a nation's defense. But Joab wasn't waging war when he killed, killed Abner. Whereas Abner killed Asahel in the midst of a battle. It could even be argued that he killed himself in self-defense. He said, turn aside. But Joab took the matter into his own hands and he killed Abner in cold blood. And I say that he took the matter into his own hands because the law gives further definition. What do you do with a murder? If Job was convinced that Abner had committed the sin of murder, then he had recourse to the law of God to prosecute Abner. And he could even invoke the death penalty against him. But Joab didn't do that. Joab took the law into his own hands. And he became judge, jury, and executioner in this case. It was all under the guise of treating Abner under safe conduct, inviting him to come back under safety, under the guise of a private conversation. And Joab murdered Abner in cold blood. Job shows further contempt for the law because Hebron or Hebron had been designated by God as a city of refuge. Here's more aspects to the law of God that has an ordered way of prosecuting those who are accused of, uh, 
of murder. So if a man killed another man, there are a variety of reasons that that might happen. And sometimes it was premeditated murder, which the law says this man is guilty. And capital punishment, the death of the offender, was the right penalty. But sometimes death would happen accidentally. And such a person could could run to a city of refuge for protection until such a time as there could be a trial that would prove his innocence. And he could go free. And he went there in protection of what the Bible calls the avenger of blood. Because the family member that is aggrieved by the death of a loved one could indeed pursue that man and bring justice to a murderer. He was the avenger of blood. It must be done by the law. And Hebron was a city of protection. And Joab just walks all over every element of safe conduct that Abner could have expected. Joab sinned by taking vengeance, ignoring God's law, taking matters into his own hands. And his sin stands as a warning. Out of the heart comes murders. Is it hard to lose a brother? Of course it is. But Joab allowed his grief to grow and to sink deep roots of hatred against Abner. His heart was so embroiled by this that he would plug his ears to God's own law in this case. That should alert you. That should be like a warning light that flashes on the dash of your car. When you become so consumed with anger and with vengeance on someone who has wronged you, you will plug your ears to God. You're crossing the line from righteous anger into vengeance. But I've never killed someone, I hear you say. The law of God is very searching, though, is it not? Our Lord Jesus Christ himself confronted the sins of the heart that give rise to murder, the sins of the heart of hatred and vengeance that may not be manifested in the physical killing of someone else, but may take the form of killing that person with your words of using angry a- a- anger and, uh, uh, and, and shouting and um, all sorts of things that, uh, that Colossians 3 describes, the sins of the mouth that are coming out of a heart that is bound up in vengeance. God has said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. When sin lies at the door, it will consume you. And lust, put it off, put it to death, 
and put on the pursuit of peace David was pursuing. Beware then of the sin of vengeance, put it to death. Second, we'll see the sin of Jacob's disrespect of authority. First is much more obvious. These next two are more subtle, but give rise to these actions. Joab's murder proceeds from other motivations. He had refused already to demonstrate respect for God and his authority. It's only natural that we would see it then worked out in Joab's relationship with the godly authorities that were in his life. And I'll show you how this happens. The text says that Joab returned home after he and his men had been out on a raiding party. When he got back, others told him what had happened. While he was gone, Abner came and struck a deal with David and departed in peace. And you can almost see Joab's head exploding. David, what are you thinking? That's the way he talks to his king. What are you doing? Abner was here? And you didn't arrest him? Don't you remember what he did? Don't you know that he was the general on the other side who was fighting against you? And you let him walk right in and walk out? Now he knows our positions. He knows our defenses. What are you doing? Now to give him credit... Joab raised questions that you want the head of your security to raise, right? Abner was leader of the rebellion against David. Can't deny that. We've seen how Abner behaved and how he played the political game to get power for himself. So Joab was rightfully wary of Abner. But... The way that he dealt with David shows a sin of disrespect for those in authority over him. Just look at the way he talked to David. One commentator calls it just downright rude, the way he dealt with David. He talks back to him. He essentially calls him stupid. And then he went and he acted against David's direct command showing disrespect for the authority that David had been given by God by his anointing. In fact, the text tells us three times that David sent Abner out in peace, just to reinforce that it was well known that this was David's command, was his desire to pursue this peace. He was, was, was bringing about that reconciliation that was indicative of God's God's plans for the peace of his people. And yet, Joab was unrestrained in his vengeance against Ahab, Abner, and that lack of restraint can then be seen in how he is ungoverned in his rightful duty to his king. And here his sin stands as a warning once again. 
Beware the sin of disrespect. And this passage confronts that sin in all of us, but this is a passage speaking about one of the leaders of Israel, the commander of David's forces. So I want to make an application to those in authority from this passage. I've been doing this as we've thought about David and and earlier Saul. I've been making applications to those in leadership, thinking of our longing for godly leadership in our country, our longing and pursuit of godly leadership in our church and in our home and in our community. This passage confronts leaders with sin of disrespect. You might think that, well, leaders are worthy of respect, and so they might rightfully be commanding that and desiring it. But you have to know that civil leaders and church leaders are, are under authority as well. And as men under authority, just speaking here of, of the church, we are answerable to God for the leadership that we give. And when we cast that off, we show disrespect to the authority that God has. But there's not only the authority that God has, but we are under the authority of, of a presbytery, the, uh, the association of churches that, that hold us accountable, that we are responsible to. And we show disrespect to them if we ignore their counsel. If we say we will not heed your discipline, we make ourselves a law unto ourselves. That's what Joab was doing in his sins of disrespect. What goes for leaders goes for citizens and members as well. God does call us to be subject to authorities, authorities that he himself has given to us, And if you will not live in submission to godly authority, you will find that neither will you live in submission to God himself. Calls us to put to death the sins of disrespect. Thirdly and finally, Joab's sin of selfishness. This is really woven in and through all of these other actions and all of Joab's other sins is vengeance and disrespect. And you can see it in Joab. His actions just scream of selfishness, acting over and over again in his own self-interest. And one aspect comes out in something that uh, uh, I would say an unanswered question by this text. When you read through what Abner did, He came and he offered to sway the rest of the tribes to come to and make peace with David. The question is, so just what did Abner get in return? What was in it for him? The text doesn't go into that, but we could say that at least he gains David's favor. But we've seen Abner longing for something more. You go back to verse 6, you can see that, that Abner was on 
on a path of pursuing power for himself. He was the man behind the king, behind the throne. He was orchestrating all of these things. And now he's just laying it aside. So it's reasonable to conclude that as Abner comes to David, that there is something that he gets in return. Perhaps David's favor, perhaps something more. Abner was a proven military leader. He had years of experience. He had uh, many commendable attributes. In fact, David is going to go on to commend some of those attributes. Could it be that Abner saw him as the general of David's army? Could it be that Joab understood he was not just the man who had killed his brother, but he was a rival for his position? Even without that conclusion, we can see that Joab sinned in his selfish ambition over and over again. He acted in his own self-interest. Calvin writes that self-interest is the most mortal ambition that can possibly happen to the church of God. Selfish ambition a mortal enemy to the church. He goes on to say, Abner prevented David from having peace and all the people from being brought together under their leader who was ordained for the salvation of the church. Selfishness and selfish ambition are so common today. Do you find yourself always looking out for your own interest, getting offended when you don't get the recognition that you think you deserve, becoming spiteful against those who step on your reputation, put to death selfish ambition? Instead, work at putting on Christ-like humility, Even as Paul says in Philippians 2, let each of you look out not for your own interests, but also the interests of others. For this is exactly what Jesus did. Though wronged, he humbled himself. Though he is God incarnate, he took upon himself a role of a humble servant, laying down his life salvation. While we condemn Joab for these sins, let us also be sober and vigilant in our own hearts against these very same sins. Sin of vengeance, sin of disrespect of godly authority, and the sin of selfishness. May we put those to death, brothers and sisters. May we put on the character of Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. Amen. Let's pray. God, we do confess to you our sins. 
We confess the sins of our heart that inevitably do come out in our words, in our actions, in our hatred. God, I pray that you would forgive us, that you would be at work in our, our hearts by your Spirit, that we would be putting to death these sins that are so common and so disastrous, so destructive in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our country. Well, God, thank you for the peace that you have won through Jesus Christ, peace that we have through faith in him. God, I pray that we would not war against that, setting up our own interests over against yours. Instead, oh God, I pray that we would walk following after Jesus, our loving Prince of Peace. In his name we pray, amen. We'll close by singing Psalm 34, Selection C. Psalm 34, Selection C. And I would have you note again, this is the blessing of peace that comes through in this psalm. That uh, while God uh, condemns those who hate, there is a redeeming and a blessing of us with peace who trust in Christ. Let's stand and sing Psalm 34C.